0: I did an interview the other day. It was a local news interview. I think it was in the Bay Area. Super nice, but and it was not like a political show. She immediately went to the 2024 presidential because that's where people's minds go. And so we talked about that and I covered why. And I, and I said, but, you know, there are 500,000 races. i was saying a lot of the things we've said on this, on this podcast. And then she said, okay, well, I want to ask you a follow-up question. Some people are saying that they are worried that the forward party will take votes from the other two parties. And I would like to know how you'd respond to that. And I said, yes, that's our plan. We are going to do that. (laughs) We're a political party.
1: It is my pleasure to welcome to Forward political strategist, startup guru, advisor to the Forward Party on coalition building an all-around awesome activist and champion for democracy, Lucy Caldwell. Welcome, Lucy.
0: Hey, Andrew. It's fun to be with you. How are you?
1: You kidding. You and I hang out all the time in churches in Chicago, in airports, <laughs> in conference rooms. So you have a really fascinating path. Uh, thrilled to be working with you to build forward. Um, this is a very open-ended question, but how the heck did you get here? <laughs> and one of the things I really want to dig into, and it should have been part of your intro, is you're the campaign manager for Joe Walsh's 2020 Anti-Trump presidential campaign. So you and I met in Iowa back in the day.
0: Yeah. Well, the short answer to your question of how the hell did I get here is my my sort of sort of perennial reliable masochism. No. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) No, I I got here because I got my start working in politics. I came up on the right side of the aisle. I came up in conservative politics. I ran some campaigns. I lobbied in thirty some states. I really was a young. Uh, wide-eyed libertarian that I just found at the time that the Republican Party was the place that was the best home for me and my ideas in the public square. And along the way, I got out of direct politics to start a, a company called CrowdScout, which was a data platform for campaigns and issue advocacy groups and nonprofits. And so I was out of direct politics from twenty fourteen to twenty
1: nineteen. You took a you took a five-year break and somehow got wrapped back in <laughs> I took
0: a I took a five year break, but the but is a big but which is that we had political clients and we were a nonpartisan company. But I had come from the right, and the right was really underserved in technology at the time. So we wound up functionally with a ton of Republican clients. So we had seven of the 17 Republican presidential candidates in 2016. We had all the committees. And so I was watching from the sidelines, but also watching how the culture was changing within some of those organizations, like my client, the Republican National Committee, and was horrified. Um, but yes, because of the masochism when we sold that company, I went to never some never Trump folks that people have heard of, people like Sarah Longwell and Bill Crystal. And I said, how can I help? Can I help you think about your data strategy? And can I help you build this ecosystem? I'm looking for something to do. And a month later, I was in Iowa with Joe Walsh. So. There you have it.
1: Wow. um well, uh for those of people who aren't familiar with um with Sarah Longwell, she's a Never Trump uh Republican who, who now is leading uh, an awesome org uh called the the Bulwark. Um and then Bill Kristol is another very prominent Never Trump uh commentator. So you go to them and say, "Hey guys, how can I help?" and then they connect you to Joe.
0: Yes, exactly. I went to drinks with Sarah. Um we, had drink, we met for drinks in D.C. to catch up. Sarah and I went way back. We'd worked on issues together in sort of conservative policy world years before. And she said to me, have you heard of Joe Walsh? And I said, I think so. <laughs> the guy, yeah. <laughs> and she said, well, we think he should run for, for, for president. He's going to run for president. And um, he really needs someone to run his campaign, and could you talk to him? I think you could do it.
1: All right, wait, all right, wait, wait. Let's get let's let's get a date on this. Like, when uh, what wh- when was this?
0: Really, true. I mean, the the timeline is insane. This was like probably in the first week of August of 2019. And oh, that's
1: really late. But I just wanted levels level set for you. It was, By that time, it was. I'd been on the trail for a year and a half. But continue.
0: <laughs> well, the never Trumpers were just like flailing trying to find people to run and i i went to i went i flew to illinois where joe is from where he he'd been a congressman from illinois a couple of days later and then um I went on a very brief vacation with my husband from to Tulum, like a five day vacation, which was the vacation that was sort of like, I promise I won't be on my phone. You know, this is going to be so romantic. We're going to be in a beautiful casita with a plunge pool. You know, phones off, just wonderful romantic trip. I worked the entire time, and we (laughs) built up a very scrappy campaign apparatus. And by the Next weekend, um, we announced, Joe announced on um, uh, George Stephanopoulos' show in, in New York. And it was such a scrappy operation at that time. And it really was a scrappy operation forever, but a really scrappy operation at that time that I was in the green room at ABC with Joe and Joe's wife. And Chris Christie was on the show that day. So Chris Christie was there just like wanting to talk my ear off about you know, how how bad Trump had been to him, that kind of thing. And so Joe is on and about to make this announcement. And I am thinking like, okay, we're going to have to make sure that everything gets turned over, right? Like the website, the payment processor. And so I'm in this green room And all these people are like, this is very exciting. I'd love to talk to you about this. I'd love to give you some advice. And that'd be great. But at the same time, I'm just like opening my computer, trying to make sure like, is the website live? Like, press. (laughs) I'm like updating Joe's Twitter profile. It was a wild, wild ride. It didn't really get less wild, but
1: here we are. Well, Lucy, I need to put you in touch with, Uh, My campaign manager Zach Grauman, because you guys could (laughs) share war stories. (laughs)
0: Yeah, but we never got a bus. So you graduated out of the the scrappy, you know, shop in a good way because you had so much success. And we were always on a kamikaze campaign. So I did eventually have a much larger team who could do things like push updates to social platforms. But it was it was a wild
1: ride. All right. So first. Who were the other candidates who were considering taking on Trump in the Republican Party in 2020? Was there anyone aside from Joe?
0: Well, there were other candidates who did that. And actually, some of them were involved with forward. Um, You know, you had former Massachusetts Governor Bill Weld. Um, Oh, yeah. Bill Weld was in that.
1: Yeah, continue. He's
0: great. Yeah. You very briefly had um, former South Carolina Governor and Congressman Mark Sanford. Uh, Yeah, but he,
1: he kind of announced and then receded very, very quick, right?
0: he did he did he did and he was like
1: like five days or something or like one week I, I
0: it was remember. probably longer than that but it was it was oh, a really? small operation it was a small operation and i think it was mostly to to raise awareness of you know an issue that he's passionate about which was the national debt but at the time that seemed a little bit i mean i have a lot of respect for mark sanford but it seemed a little uh toned out just like well we're kind of trying to make sure that democracy is, which is on fire, doesn't collapse. And the, the national debt conversation, good to have, but not the conversation that we're looking to have at this moment. Um, but there were a lot of Republicans that I think people thought might get in. Right? People like Larry Hogan, the governor of Maryland, or Mitt Romney, who needs no introduction. And it's really odd to look back on that. I mean, that was just three years ago. But at the time, we had this idea as the first impeachment began when when the revelations from the the fateful call uh the fateful Ukraine call came out and uh Alex Minman came out as a whistleblower we thought wow more republicans are going to get in now right like this is this is like going to be a game changer this is the end this is going to be the end for trump now the dam is burst and we actually had this feeling what should we do as a campaign if a If another major Republican, like like a John Kasich or Mitt Romney, you name it, gets in, should we try to get organized and coalesce around one candidate? We were trying to make all these considerations expecting that other people were going to put their hand up and meet the moment. And we still had, you know, the deadlines because you ran for president. There were still months to go for filing deadlines at the time that that happened between then and people could still get in the race. And people on the Dem side were still getting in the race at that point. And so we had this idea that we were going to suddenly be in a crowded field of patriotic Republicans standing up against Trump, and you know we all know how that turned out. No one, no one came, and in fact they coalesced around Trump in a way that was really weird. And we could even see it in the grassroots uh, folks in places like Iowa. Like we don't like him; he's he's not a he's not a good guy, but he's our guy. And and actually the the tone among Republicans in on the campaign trail got. So much worse in that fall.
1: Well, uh, well, I mean, that's profound. And that's something that has very, very, uh, you know, big implications for what we're seeing right now. Um, there are also implications for what might happen in the Democratic Party. If, if for example, um, Joe Biden runs again as an incumbent, which I expect to happen personally. Uh, and then there is some thought that, oh, like someone's going to primary. him. I personally think no one primaries him. Because if you're a Democrat, particularly if Trump's coming up the other side uh, and you run against Joe, the incumbent in a Democratic primary, you're going to be seen as aiding Trump. I think that there, there are really very, very powerful dynamics that keep people from challenging the leader of the party. Yeah.
0: And in the case of Joe Biden, some of it is ageism. There is some ageism going on in how people talk about whether or not Joe Biden should continue as the leader of the Democratic Party. And we, sh- I mean, that that just is the thing that people don't say. But should there be healthy competition in a party at all times? I think so. And is it good to have one president who, albeit is pro-democracy and not a demagogue, not an authoritarian like Trump, to have a, in Joe Biden a person who has stood up, but maybe does also think that he alone can fix it? right? Is that healthy? Probably not. Um, but I think it's a, it's, a, it's a multifaceted landscape, to say the least.
1: This podcast is sponsored by Helix Sleep. I've always been a mattress guy because I figured if I'm going to do something for up to eight hours, maybe I should do it right. And Helix Sleep That's helixsleep.com slash yang. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. When you say he alone can fix it, and he alone can defeat Trump was always his thesis. And I I hung out with Joe a fair amount on the trail. Uh, People may not, you know, and I know, but if you're out on the trail, you run into each other all the live long day because <laughs> because there are only so many uh, events, union halls, fish fries, uh, cattle calls, like you name it. I mean, you're 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 around each other all the time. And the dynamic of the Republican Party—it's fascinating to hear that you thought at the time, like, oh, um, this is going to be the dam bursting. You're going to have the K six, the Romneys, the elder statesmen of the party decide to get in. The fact that that didn't happen doesn't surprise me. Uh, like, but were there moments during that time where you thought, okay, uh, like the atmosphere is going to change, uh, or was it fairly consistent? Were there moments where Joe was like, okay, like we're going to take advantage of this?
0: Well, before the first impeachment, we were talking very, uh, extensively with a lot of groups who are really focused on Iowa. Joe is from Illinois state over, he went to college in Iowa. So we thought, great, you know, this is, these are his people. These, these nice white Iowans, this is Joe Walsh's base. We're going to connect with these people. And we did. And we were having conversations with endorsements that matter in a Republican primary, people to give endorsements like the Cattlemen, right? These are important endorsements in Iowa. And so- I do think that we were hoping it would change in a different way, and it changed in the worst way. And it culminated on caucus night. And the Republican caucus in Iowa works a little differently than the Democratic caucus, which is that in the Republican caucus, you still have people coming in, and they come up and they talk. But then it it is a secret ballot, which I hoped would be helpful. In a year like that also, because you can show up wherever... Who's going to show up to a Republican caucus in a year where on the Democratic side, if you're a nice moderate voter, which is like a nice person who doesn't feel tribal, then in you know, the year 2020, when you have so many really great candidates and exciting candidates and people who have a positive vision of the future, why would you go to the republican caucus so there were some just structural problems
1: what was the the turnout of the republican caucus so one of the things i tell people and most people don't realize this is that uh something like 6.4 percent of iowans participated in the democratic caucus uh it's a very very low percentage uh do you know what that percentage was on on your side I
0: don't know the percentage offhand right now, at this moment. it's I, I knew at one time, but much, much lower. And so I went, you know, you divide your team up and you try to send your candidate to the biggest caucus site. So like Joe went to Ames and then you send your best surrogates to the next... Caucus sites, and so I was. Oh, I I went
1: to a caucus site and had the unhappy experience of getting blown out in that caucus site while I was standing there, and people were. (laughs) I mean, you know, I I, I think I left before the voting started.
0: Yeah, Joe and Bill Weld were at a caucus site where Laura Trump was there, and all of the Trump people that night made the same speech, of course. And Trump didn't go to a caucus site, which is really notable. So they all delivered a speech to each caucus site and of course he couldn't have been at all of them but he could have come to Iowa. Trump barely ever went to Iowa. But they all delivered these speeches like the the president wishes he could be here and we're all going to keep America great because people forget that the second the second campaign the slogan was actually CAG keep keep america, keep america great, great. Is, so joe got up and joe is like a fire and brimstone kind of guy i mean this is like a former tea party congressman who himself was once a trump supporter and he got up and he said um i just want you to have you know donald trump lies to people he's not honest and i want you to have a president who who tells you the truth and people booed joe out i mean getting up physically approaching him like mob. It was like a mob scene. And Joe has told me that that was really the first time that he felt physically, truly unsafe. And um my husband was with Joe that night because, you again, very scrappy campaign. I realized that I had sent Joe's, the person who had been staffing Joe, I had sent that person to another caucus site. Like I just needed to spread people out. So I said to my husband, who'd come in for that week, I'm like, you've got to go with Joe. And Joe and my husband are forever bonded because of the fear and sense of lack of just physical safety in that room. I was a few miles away at a caucus site where the person who had come to show up on Trump's behalf was Brad Parscale. And Brad Parscale was there um, in a dark suit looking quite ominous with a large team. And as Brad was giving his pitch to the Uh, to the people sitting in this gymnasium, middle school, the Trump team flanked out, sort of fanned out around Brad and walked down the aisle of this middle school gym, cafeteria place, whatever, and started placing Keep America Great red caps on the children in the rooms. People will bring their kids to a caucus site to see, you know, you're seeing democracy in action at school. Just not... I'm, this is going to make me sound like I'm really, really like a snowflake, but didn't ask the parents' permission. Just it was this show of force. Like we are putting these caps on your kids, right? And I thought this is a, I, this is a cult. <laughs> this
1: is well, that does cult-like. seem kind of in, indoctrinationy, you know? Like yes. we're, we're 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 going to um, christen them in a particular way. Um, so, so you guys announced in August, the caucus is in February, that gives you about six months of campaigning. Uh, what proportion of the time did you spend in Iowa? And I want, want to share that I, I was all over the place, but I came and mm-hmm. went to Iowa. I think I counted, it was like 24 times. Um, and sometimes I would go through Chicago, um, and so when you say Illinois is next to Iowa, I remember like you Minnesota know. was north of us. I, I came in and out of Minneapolis sometimes. Um, so there were times when um, we would do campaign events in Chicago uh, because it seemed proximate. And I also had these uh, visions that maybe we could get enough people in Illinois excited to volunteer to come over to Iowa and canvas. Yes. Um, so so what did the Joe Walsh campaign look like operationally Were were you in illinois fundraising then you'd come back to iowa were you in dc a lot like uh, did you crisscross all over were there pockets of joe wall support in new york and california
0: yes we actually did wind up spending a lot of well we spent most of our time in iowa and we did not spend very much time in new hampshire in part because we had i mean we had to work with the Weld team, right? We were Bill Weld is from Massachusetts, easy for him to go up to New Hampshire. And super under resourced campaigns, there almost started to be like a division of labor, right? Like you go keep the voices loud and cultivate people in New Hampshire and we will focus on Iowa. And both campaigns did go to both places, but we had this idea, it wasn't we weren't like directly planning this, but it was obvious that it just makes sense. You're strengths. you're from the it neighboring
1: states and it's like right. easier. Yeah.
0: Right. So we did spend a lot of time in places like LA, New York, and DC. And the reason that we did that is that one thing, even as fundraising was very hard, it was very challenging. And another thing that was happening at this time is that the Republican Party began canceling primaries. So they literally canceled the primaries. So at some point, it was, I mean, you start in a kamikaze campaign like that, It's like, okay, well, here's the path. And I told Joe the whole time, I said, when I took him on, I said... This is a very long shot campaign. We know what we're doing here, but you do. I need you to look me in the eye and say that you're prepared to be president. You have to be running to be president. This can't be, we know the reality here. And so we would talk about that path, right? It's important to talk that way. And at some point we stopped having a path because there were literally so many primaries canceled. And this is not like Joe Walsh's vermin supreme, right? Like Bill Weld and Joe Walsh, our former Republican elected officials. I mean, Bill Weld is one of the most beloved former governors, and so it was unheard of, completely crazy. But so we stopped having a path. But so that we became this cycle where fundraising was so much harder. Everything was so much harder. It's like, what am I? What am I supporting here? But we spent a lot of time in New York and D.C. because the one thing that I had in Joe Walsh as a candidate was an amazing stage presence and an amazing ability to go on TV and rile people up in a good way. And so, you know, the reason we did something like launch on a Sunday show and continue to prioritize doing tons of media was not because Joe didn't want to be out talking to the people. He loves that. And he's actually a person who could spend, you know, five hours in like a, you know, like a feed store and actually hates being at a fundraising event, right? Like actually hates being with the chattering class but I knew that that was the way that we were gonna get into people's names was by just sort of hitting the media machine over and, over and over and over and over again.
1: This podcast is sponsored by ExpressVPN. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that. Private, what's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched, or tweeted. Now imagine all that data being crawled through, collected, and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Do you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell our data? The worst part is you don't know what they're doing, you don't get to have your say. That's why I use ExpressVPN. Just hit one button and then your internet connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server. No one can see your IP address. You're completely in your own private internet. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it harder for third parties to track me and harvest my data. No matter what device you're on, you just hit one button and you get your own protected connection. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com yang and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S vpn.com yang. Go to expressvpn.com yang to learn more. So the the fact that the Republican Party did start canceling primaries, I do remember that. Um, I I actually have a belief that we may see something similar in the Democratic Party this cycle, where if Joe runs as an incumbent and he has a challenger, let's say Marianne Williamson, that the Democratic Party wants absolutely nothing to do with, that they'll just be like, you know what, let's skip it. Uh, I I think there's a, a real chance of that personally, because everyone knows that Jimmy Carter had a very significant primary challenge and then lost in the general, and so there, there is like well, also a lot of people compare Joe Biden to Jimmy Carter for a, a number of reasons, but, um, but there's going to be a lot of pressure for the Democrats to avoid any kind of competitive primary.
0: Well, there's a uh, you and I have talked about this before, and you've put it well, but it's true that I, so I hate both sidesism about the two parties because it's just not true. I mean, one party is being taken over by fascists and the other party is not meeting the moment right that's part of why work like the work of the forward party is so important but but you know saying we need a new way doesn't mean that i think that you know like the Joe two Biden current parties are the same. yeah, yeah at all totally. not at all not yeah, at all totally but i do think that you put this i heard you say this a couple of weeks ago and you put it really well it expresses the same idea which is that when one party is taking us down the long slide to authoritarianism, we both parties become vulnerable and 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 I was at a, a in a briefing a couple of days ago um by a person who's worked all over the world trying to help stabilize democracies for years. and he said, you know one of the big challenges is, for example, in a scenario where Trump won. This is a worst-case scenario, right? Like you have a a Trump Biden matchup again and Trump wins. And you know that Trump himself is a person who may never give up power. He may do everything in his power to, you know, take control of the military, do things that are that's the end. That's the end for us. Then you could be a pro-democracy like want nothing more than to have free and fair elections. Democrat and you could start to feel like Joe Biden shouldn't participate in the peaceful transfer of power because then Joe Biden is we're handing over the keys to this fascist. Right. And so you can start to see how good people can start to take part in things that are anti-democratic, like canceling primaries. Right. That it it is all in the service at that moment. Of what feels like in service of the long game that is preserving our American democracy, but that in fact is actually very dangerous because you then in order to meet the moment of fighting back against authoritarianism, you have to start making compromises and doing things yourself that make you... A, a c- accomplice a complicit in that that work and that's why something like forward is so important because right now those are our only levers that's our choice yeah. those are really bad options
1: <laughs> yeah I, I i agree with you completely one thing i find co- consistently frustrating is people are like you know, uh, the both sides ism the like, oh, you know, like, why are you lumping these two parties together? And it's like, look, of course, I think most most people think that what's going on with the parties are very, very different. I mean, the Republican Party is to me now uh, an authoritarian cult, and it's something that's going to persist well past Trump, in my opinion. I feel like there are now at this point, a half dozen heirs to Trumpism <laughs> that, that, that that are that are channeling a lot of like the same. They're
0: worse.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, they may even be worse because in some cases their competence level might be a little higher. Um so uh and and then on the other side, I mean if I had to characterize the, the Democrats, uh, you know, it's like an unaccountable, tone-deaf bureaucracy that is condescending and preachy and willing to uh and 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 it's also overrun by uh, corporate interests of its own, because in a two-party system, it's pretty easy for a company just to be like, you know what, I'm just going to give to both of you, and like let, let's just keep you, keep everyone off my back. <laughs> yeah,
0: you and I were on a phone call a couple of weeks ago with a well-known Democrat, and it was a it was an off-the-record conversation, so I'm not going to share the person's name, but I'm I'm mentioning that because I don't want to claim authorship of this statement. But he said something that has stuck with me uh, that. And this is a person who wants Democrats to win, would like to see the Democratic Party be successful, is a, a person who's, I think, a politically moderate person, but is very open, right? And he said, Republicans are insurrectionists and Democrats are aliens. <laughs> <laughs> and I th- that has really stuck with me. I, keep, I think about it every day. It's sort of, it's reductionist, but it kind of sums up the thing, right? <laughs> It's kind of
1: the whole thing. <laughs> you know, a, a technologist made a similar statement to me, Lucy. He said Republicans' programming is closer to people's base programming, <laughs> whereas like yes. Democratic programming requires a lot of explanation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and hence the alien comment. And, and and so we do need something like forward, uh, to be the modernizing force uh to make our democracy actually a true democracy and more resilient and sustainable like i i don't regard the two parties as the same but i regard the system as uh doomed to fail so so you're toiling with joe hopscotching across the country uh you assign your husband to staff him for caucus <laughs> yes. night yeah uh so um what are your fondest and darkest recollections uh, of those six months or so.
0: Yeah. Some of my darkest recollections are having had some narrow hope that more people would help me. Um, and I had a huge, huge network in on the Republican side. Uh, that's the world I'd come from. And I'd had a lot of Republican clients. And in fact, some of them had left the RNC at that point. And, and so I started to call them to just talk practically about whether or not they would help. And I was met with a lot of so glad you're doing this, but I can't be a part of it. And at one point profiles encourage.
1: Um, <laughs> exactly.
0: At one point I was on the phone with someone whom I've known like since I was seventeen. We grew we went to school together and uh, he is a bachelor and I had just had dinner with him. My husband and I had dinner with him a few weeks before and it's like so unfettered and was like talking to me about, you know, his travels to he's a Republican consultant, you know, how he was taking these fabulous trips and he just bought a new Audi. And so I call him a few weeks later to say, hey man, I'm doing this crazy thing. You're super smart and you've worked for all the Republicans who don't even exist in this party anymore. And you have some tools and 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 tactics and in your quiver that I could really use and can you help me? And We'll pay you, of course. Or if you don't want to do that? You should be an advisor. And I just, I just had dinner with this person a few weeks before. was a very, very old friend, and he said to me, "You know, I'd love to, but the thing is, people have all these considerations. Like people have kids, and they have a mortgage. And I thought, okay, but you don't. You
1: don't. Are you, don't. <laughs> <laughs> you have an Audi." <laughs>
0: So that was one of the most disappointing things. And and the feeling of that it was really invasion of the body snatchers. I mean, just awful. Um, much more so. I mean, that had happened in 2016, and I'd already seen that. But it, it is so much – I really think it's hard to remember how much worse it gets all the time. And how in t- the year 2019, we thought maybe – there could be, I mean, people like I, like me, thought this, that like maybe the Republican Party could still be rescued, and so that are, that's some of my darkest <laughs> memories. Sure, some of my fondest memories is that the relationships that I've formed since then with people who were former Republicans, so-called never Trumpers, um, are really, really meaningful relationships and. A real sense of kind of like, a, well, we're all, we're all, we're like, the boat has capsized and we're on, so we might as well be ourselves. It's very freeing, actually. And I really love those people. And the fact that this work has caused me in subsequent years to really become, form some deep professional relationships and collaborative uh, dynamics with Democrats who are actually much more aligned with me than we might have ever thought, that's really wonderful. I really love the people that I'm in this fight with and feel happy. They, I like being around them. They make me feel good. It's stimulating. It's, it's exciting. It's forward thinking. I love that.
1: Yeah, I I love it too, and that that brings us to our work with Forward. Yeah. So, um, first, kudos to you for stepping up uh, to try and uh, avert Trump's return uh, <laughs> for being see. courageous and principled, genuinely patriotic, doing something that's in the nation's interest that's not narrowly in one in one's own self interest. I mean, like you you have legions of people who've made a very different decision um and on one level you don't blame them but on another you're just like hey guys uh you know uh character (laughs) you know like genuine independence like like you know courage like you know you want you want to do something you might actually feel good about later um so so kudos to you for doing the difficult thing and i agree with you that when you do the difficult noble thing you wind up making Common cause with people that you're bonded with for life, and you've stayed in the fight even after the 2020 race. Um, uh, so, the three organizations that have now merged to form the new Forward Party, Renew America, and Serve America, you were involved with uh, with Renew.
0: I was not ever involved in, with Renew in a staff capacity, but I, I was, I took part in a lot of their early conversations. I'd been, I mean, that, that's the world I come from, right? The world of disaffected Republicans and conservatives and independents who had hoped that there could be a different lane. I think one of the things they ran into is that it's sort of like the, the boat is capsized. So now we might as well be ourselves that that group didn't naturally form a clear constituency, you know, the, the idea of we were bonded before because we were Republicans, but we were all making these concessions to other people on their issues. Right. So if you then try to bring together people who may separately be kind of dogmatic on a handful of issues, like you have the neocons in the room, then maybe you have the social conservatives, and then you have like the taxationist theft people. And because it's not the case that all never Trumpers are people who were like squishy, moderate Republicans. That's so just not true. I mean, I mean, some of them are culture warriors, right? And so, you know, I think that that, that group, Renew, one of the things they found that they found, and I'm saying this as an outsider who was isn't running the organization, but is that it, there was less natural alignment, right? They were aligned on something very important, but if the work was to then go reform the Republican party, they all had to be thinking, do I even want to reform the Republican party? Is that even the thing that I want to be a part of? And we're all untethered by our former, the, the our former bonds to the Republican party. Um, but so I think it was, I was delighted when I, you know, got got together with my friend, Miles Taylor, and he said, we're going to do this crazy thing. I thought, great, how can I, how can I help you do that?
1: Yeah. Miles said that early on, they had a, uh, a, uh meeting where they said hey guys do you, do you think we should try and reform the republican party or just form a new party and yeah. it was 50 50 and they said okay yeah. i guess we'll try and reform the republican party and see if that works and now people have concluded that it's not working and by the way any uh, newsflash it's not working uh, at this point you have right uh you know seven out of ten of the republicans who voted to impeach trump who are out or going to be out soon um liz cheney's probably going to lose uh, pretty mm-hmm. pretty soon and Liz mm-hmm. we want to talk to you about joining joining forward I, that will shock absolutely nobody <laughs> um, so yeah. Trump's hold of the party just gets stronger the latest uh, FBI raid news has only uh, strengthened that dynamic where there are a number of uh, Republicans who are looking at taking him on in the presidential who I think just saw their hopes dim frankly. Um, and some of them are still looking for a way to be of service and to run. One of the the things you all ran into, and this is one of the big cases forward is making, is like, look, there are a lot of people that would choose someone other than Trump, even within the Republican Party. They just might not vote in a Republican primary. Where if you look at the five to ten percent of voters who are uh, party activists, like that's a very very different version of the public than let's say you know a hundred percent of the voting population. Um, So there are a bunch of moderate Republican types or independent types who I think are looking to run for president, but don't think the Republican primary is the way to do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the challenges for the Republican Party is that only a third of Republican voters, mostly when polled, think that Joe Biden won the election. Um, And so that means functionally that to get through a Republican primary, you have to be a person who's willing to participate in the big lie. And that also has, is a reflection of the fact that people who live who who don't take part in that horrible part of that has become the dominant culture in the Republican Party are leaving the Republican Party. I grew up in Arizona. And this isn't just happening at the top of the ticket. And I mean, I think part of what's so powerful about Forward is that we're saying there are 500,000 elected offices, right? And there are mayor's races, and there are state legislative races, and city council races, and governor, a lot of races, a lot of races, a lot of races beyond the presidency, a lot of races beyond the Senate and the U.S. House of Representatives. I grew up in Arizona, and uh, people who are followers of of election results know that last week in Arizona, my home state was an absolute bloodbath. Every Republican endorsed by Trump won. The uh, top of the ticket, the gubernatorial candidate, Kerry Lake is literally talking about how Arizona should secede from the union. Uh, Mark Fincham, the presumptive, the the Republican nominee for Secretary of State, um, is a member of the Oath Keepers and was there on January 6th, was part of the the group that stormed the Capitol. The state lawmakers, including people like Rusty Bowers, who was the former Speaker of the House in Arizona, who actually had the courage to testify uh, in the January 6th hearings. He was. He stood the line, held the line. He was defeated. Every Republican who's ever said a bad word about Trump, other than some people running at the county level, they were blown out. And so people look at a state like Arizona and they say, "Wait, we thought we were into Arizona. We thought Arizona was like this cool kind of purple turning blue state. What's happening?" And the answer is, it is that state. It it actually is. But our system is so screwed up. That now you have these a really hardened base choosing the Republican candidates, and then we're all just forced to choose between the Republican candidates and the Democratic candidates who have their own issues, because they're also turning people out at the polls, polls as in the extremes, P-O-L-E-S. And so, yeah, you could wind up in a state that was heroic in the eyes of people who care about democracy last year, in, in 2020, Right. And it's the same people living. It's the same good people living in that state. It hasn't changed. It's probably, if anything, it's gotten yeah. more liberal. But, but that's that's the problem, right? That is like a that's like a case study <laughs> for why we need different and more levers in this system.
1: Yeah, uh, that is dark. It's true. The the Trumpian takeover of the Republican Party of Arizona, uh, and and you're you're seeing similar types of candidates prevail all over the place. One of the themes of the last couple of weeks was that occasionally Democrats have boosted them like the way they boosted Peter Myers, uh, opponent. Um, uh, because they said, Hey, this extremist will be more, beatable in the general so what if they're an election denier so what if they're uh, like a threat to democracy let's spend a million bucks and like get them in into the general so you and i have been in a bunch of meetings um with, with yep. uh, the forward party what have you been seeing and hearing i actually you know would, would love to hear this in real time because uh you know I, I don't know the latest
0: yeah i think that one thing that i'm seeing and hearing is that people are really excited about some of the structural commitments that the forward party is making I think that they're really—it really resonates with people—that we're making commitments about outcomes and not prescribing the tactics, right? You know, in in our current policy um, landscape, it becomes a fight between one party's proposed tactic and another, and the outcomes, like you name it, right? Having healthy communities, having access to clean air, uh, you know, being able to have a, a context that gives way to successful entrepreneurship, being able to start a business, being able to care for your young kids, being able to make sure that they're getting a high quality education. There, There isn't a lot of, a, there's not a, a commitment to out those outcomes. There's a fight about which tactic we should use. And then no one comes out of that thinking like, gosh, we just spent another legislative session fighting. We actually have not achieved any of those means. And so I think it's resonating with people, not the pundit class, but it's resonating with people that commitments about helping to empower people to choose what kind of communities they live in, what kind of solutions work for them. And working together, I think, is is really powerful. I was on the phone with... um a couple of days ago, with people who work in the bridging community, you know, who work to bridge um, left and right, help to work on things like deliberative democracy. And they said to me, and this was a, it was kind of like a meet and greet phone call. And they said, they began by saying after Indra's Lucy, what can we do to help the forward party? And I said, I'm not skirting your question, but what I actually want to talk about is what can the forward party do to help you? How can we help your work because the the party any political party is just should be a means to an end it should be meaningful enough to have influence but it actually should be as small and empty a vessel as possible because it's a tool by which to make people's lives better make our communities the communities we want to live in and they were taken aback by that but i think that That is something people are taken aback with about. But then when they think about it, they're like, oh, yes, in our current party system, not just the two major parties, third parties, all the parties, they're just about power. So ultimately, pretty quickly, the parties become this thing where what is first is, are we in power? And the people that matter get lost. And I think another thing that people really like about the Forward Party that I hope becomes part of our cultural DNA. Is, you know how people will say these things, people like you and people like us, like no one says this to us, because they're just like, they're crazy people. But you know, the idea that you shouldn't talk about religion or politics, you know, like in with your a person that you meet a stranger. And uh, that doesn't work for people who spend their lives doing it. Someone's like, what do you do for a living? So we're having a conversation about politics at that point. No, Lucy, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's,
1: it's, uh, it's one degree worse for me because um, you yeah, know, they know you me they, and, then, they, they, and, then, and then they'll they talk see about politics you. immediately. <laughs> they see
0: you. No, I've traveled, I've traveled with you now. So I know like walking through an airport, someone, a stranger, you know, we're like, where's the car rental place? Like we're talking about, actually now we're talking about politics, but Why shouldn't we be talking about politics? Politics drives so much of our lives. And the the reason that we can't talk about politics is that we don't trust each other or trust ourselves to be able to talk about politics in a way that isn't really tribal and dysfunctional. So part of the commitment that the Forward Party is making is that we could have disagreements. Like You could characterize something in a way that I disagree with, and we could talk about it. We could talk about it on a podcast. We could talk about it right here. We could talk about it on a stage. And it wouldn't mean that we've become mortal enemies. Right. It would mean that reasonable minds can disagree and that we might disagree on how to get to an outcome.
1: I'm I'm very, very sensitive though, Lucy. I don't know if you disagree with me, uh you know. Well um, I know I, I might um, <laughs> I know. Andrew. Yeah, I, I mean that that is the best thing People about the are Ford party. About it's really that. Yeah, no, it's very much come as you are, uh, you know, yeah. and when I spoke to a conservative Republican in West Virginia on a Zoom, uh, he was like, oh, Joe Mr. Manchin, Yang, I don't think I,
0: conservative uh, Republican Joe no, <laughs> I'm
1: just kidding. <laughs> Someone even better than Joe. So um, he said, Mr. Yang, I don't think I can join your party because I'm a conservative coal miner Republican here in West Virginia. And I said, look, we can disagree on all sorts of things as long as you agree the two party system's not working and that the Republican Party's not actually Exactly, you know, solving the problems you're seeing around you. Then we'd love to have you in forward. And literally, 45 seconds later, he was like, "All right, I'm in." (laughs) You know, (laughs) it was, and it made me feel so good. Um, Like a a lot of Americans don't don't think that uh, one party wants them because we might disagree on something. And forward's very much the opposite. It's like, well, we want you. We don't care if you agree or disagree. I think someone said we're not going to check your ID at the door. Another thing about forward two that's kind of funny is people say like, "Hey, can I keep my party registration?" And then we're like, "Well, right now you technically can't even register with forward in your state, yeah, probably." Yeah, so am sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. like I mean, we're we're gonna get there. Like you know, eventually we'll have ballot access at various places. Yeah, uh, fifteen states by the end of this year. But in the interim, I mean, we're, we're building a broad, popular, inclusive movement, uh, and we need people to to join. And I think that that's like a – even that's a different message than the parties right now. The parties seem like they're just like throwing up various uh, litmus tests and gates in a particular way. And a lot of it's a call to action being like, hey – you know, you know, what unifies us is like, we can't stand those people. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) uh, Yeah. And we're like, look, you know, we, we understand there are problems, but you know, we, we love other people.
0: Totally. I think the come as you are thing is that's a really good way to describe it. And both parties do this, but I've, I've seen, I've spent several years trying to help Democrats get people elected um, to get Democrats elected. And it's a little bit like headbanging against the wall all the time, because I've also seen the way that, will they'll have someone just who's like trying to join them, right? Maybe a suburban mom who usually votes Republican, but really cares about um, preserving choice, like really just is, is activated by the idea that, you know, she wants to make sure that there's access to safe and legal abortion in her state. And she doesn't want to see a heartbeat bill and she wants to make sure there's access to birth control. I've watched over and over again in, in, individual interactions and at scale just i'm I'm deliberately choosing a a controversial issue to make the point i've watched democrats do things like okay here's this woman look she's going to be in your column she's going to only vote for democrats this year because she so cares about this issue and instead of being like great we're so glad you're here they're like okay You are now in the engagement funnel where you must make a lot of commitments about why and how your view came to be. And you must agree that all Republicans are trying to control women. (laughs) That is what they're trying to do. It's not just the downstream effect. That's what they're trying to do. And you also must agree now that you could never, you will never support any limit on abortion like you want, you know. And it's like that's not how people feel. Like no one feels that way, right? And so then suddenly it's, it's like, oh gosh, I actually don't want to be with those people. So that dogmatic attitude where you can't even you can't be a supporter, like you're not even allowed to be a supporter unless you make a whole bunch of signals. That is a thing that people are for sure sick of, like exhausted of, and you're going to see that showing up. I think in a lot of local races, state legislative races. Gubernatorial races where people, there are some candidates doing that already. That's happening in Oregon. There's an independent candidate in Oregon running for governor who is polling even with the Democrat, right? She may win, right? Oregon. <laughs> so yes. there's a Be- Betsy for Johnson, this for sure. I met yeah. with
1: Betsy last month. Uh feel free to check out Betsy Johnson. I, I'm supporting Betsy, so I obviously yeah. am I'm excited about yeah. that. But <laughs> did you have you met Betsy? She's great.
0: I haven't, but some really fabulous people who are campaign operatives that I've done a lot of work with over the years who come from my sort of background are are working with her. So I hear a lot about stories from their trail.
1: Yeah, it, it is fun uh, having leaders like you try and help people like Betsy and Evan McMullen and Bill Walker and Clint Smith uh, and uh, these other independents. And, and it does irk me somewhat to to your earlier point that like people are all obsessed about the presidential it's like look there's a ton of stuff we can do right now that's going to have a lot of impact in various communities and it's just so so, like it does piss me off that the press just resorts to like this laziness because it suits their their ends i mean their ends are like look i just want to keep you in that corner and uh, you know you hate him you hate them send us money Click on our stuff. Oh, wait, third party? Wait, that might interrupt our narrative. Like, uh, no, no, bad, bad. <laughs>
0: you know, like, I did an interview the other day. It was a local news interview. I think it was in the Bay Area. Super nice reporter, anchor, but it was not like a political show, right? And uh, she wanted to ask, she immediately went to the 2024 presidential because that's where people's minds go and of course the involvement of people like you in this as as someone who's a founder and a leader in this that makes their minds go to that um and so we talked about that and i covered why and i I said you know there are five hundred thousand races i'm saying a lot of the things we've said on this on this podcast and then she said okay well i want to ask you a follow-up question some people are saying that they are worried that the forward party will take votes from the other two parties. And I would like to know how you'd respond to that. And I said, yes, that's our plan. We are going to do that. <laughs> We're a political party. <laughs> we are absolutely going to take votes. But it's like you're seeing in real time. I then said to her, and you're seeing this in real time. Like Oh, everyone's in an abusive relationship with the two parties. That is done. the
1: parallel. That I, is the parallel for sure.
0: It's like, like uh, you know, this idea of like, well, I talked to a Democratic operative who said that they're worried that the Forward Party could put, siphon Democratic votes in you know X Y Z little race in you know X Y Z place. It's like, well, you know what? Uh, then that Democrat should work to make their message more palatable to. The voters. Competition is good. It's good for people to have choices. We agree about that in every area of our lives. That's so fundamentally American. And the thing that turns out to be arguably the most deterministic about what our communities and societies look like, that is voting and who represents us and how do we elect our leaders, in and of itself ends up being by accident completely anti-American so it's interesting to watch people kind of challenge their own programming that they didn't even know was inside of them I really love that
1: yeah the 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 parallel truly is an abusive relationship (laughs) where I I was joking with someone it's like it's like the the primary defense of the two-party system is to point out how dysfunctional it is. (laughs) You know what I mean? They'll be like, oh, I mean, it's strange. Um, It is weird. But it's fun making it more American alongside you. If someone wants to follow you, Lucy, how do they do so?
0: Well, if they'd like to follow me on Twitter, they can do that at Lucy M. Caldwell.
1: Fantastic. Excited to build this party alongside you. And thanks again for standing up for what's right in the face of a lot of pressure And I'm sure adversity, we owe you a great deal and we are just getting started.
0: Likewise, Andrew. Thank you so much. This has been fun.